Welcome to MLR Kickoff with your host, Dan Power, Pete Steinberg, and a special guest later on in the show, Zach Finolio, recently retired professional player from the Glendale Raptors and former USA Eagle. Well, folks, welcome to the show. It's a big one. Semifinals are finally here as the regular season came to an end over the weekend. We do have a massive show. Pete Steinberg joining me as always. We have Zach Fanoli on the show later and Brad Tucker, our player of the week from the Seattle Seawolves. But firstly, let's welcome in Pete Steinberg. Pete, are you uh, are you on the road or finally do you have oh, a, a Wednesday at home? I am finally a, a Wednesday at home. My, my travel last week from Cleveland to um, New York, back home for 24 hours, off to Salt Lake City, and then to San Diego. Almost killed me, but I had a couple of days recovery. I'm sitting in my office and enjoying the better internet that I have here. Very good, mate. Travel tip. I Actually, I had one, and I forgot I was with Derek Summers. How's the irony there? I go on and make a public apology to Derek Summers, and then uh, we run into each other at the airport in Seattle after the game. And... Uh, we hugged it out. It was it was great. We had a really good conversation about all things refereeing and the league. And he, we had a travel tip, and it involved me doing something silly, which is not going to be surprising to you or our listeners. But and now I can't remember it. So Derek, I know you listened to the show with the uh, the other officials. Ping me, and then next week I'll have my travel tip. But I'm going to have to defer to you, Pete. Sorry. Oh, I was expecting you to have a travel tip. I, I mean, did, and I can't remember so, what it is now. So, so here's is actually my travel tip. I um I'm. I'll give a sort of a road warrior travel tip. So especially um, in the spring when I'm traveling for work and I'm traveling for major league rugby, one of the important things is you have to be kind to yourself. So, um, you know, I had uh, um, uh, flew to um, Salt Lake City with my daughter on Saturday morning, met up with my wife, did the game. Um, My daughter's teething. She didn't sleep very much. Got up at 6 a.m. Sunday, um, flew to, um, San Diego did the game with Mark and Stacy there, um, and then got on a Southwest flight. Ooh, Southwest status issues for me, but got on a Southwest flight because it got me back in time and, and got home at, at twelve thirty. So very long day, tough tough weekend. Um, I am, uh, um, and on Monday I took the day off. Now normally I like it's it's hard for me to do that. My clients often are there, but so I checked the email, but I just didn't work. Um, I got in a little nap. I I, I I did some I did some stuff around the house, and that's one of the things you got to do if you've got a big trip. When you come back, don't hit the ground running. It's just not sustainable. No, I'm in shock. Doesn't everyone take Mondays off? Or that's just me. <laughs> Hold it. Does your boss listen to this podcast? I sure hope not. Otherwise, he'll be my former boss uh, by the end of the week. Uh, but just jump- uh, just just very quickly before we talk about bosses, I have to send an apology to Chris Saint. Um, and when I called their Houston game last week, uh, um, <clears throat> when Houston played their last game um, or, or played their game at home, the last game at home, um, I mentioned, I know Chris, I mentioned that he was the head of his office in Dallas and therefore it was easy for him to get time off to do rugby. And then I saw Chris after the game and he's like, uh, you probably shouldn't say that on the broadcast. My boss is a big rugby fan. He watched the game and then he started asking me um, how when I was in the office and things like that. So um, big apology oh. to Chris Saint. Hopefully his boss doesn't listen to this podcast. Covert operation from Chris Saint. We'll have to call him 007 as he goes undercover to play uh, rugby down there. Mate, let's jump into the weekend. There are four games. We had the makeup game and then uh, the one, two, three, 
bought four regular season games. So five. We had five games. No wonder I'm exhausted. It all kicked off Wednesday night, the Sabercats and the Raptors. We won't spend too much time on this because it really didn't have a bearing. But the big news out of this one, Pete, was, uh, as most people know this week, the Raptors have parted ways with their head coach and uh, a good majority of their coaching staff for the 2020 season. And you and I touched on this last week when we heard the news about uh, Houston, obviously, and then you know rumours coming out that Austin had also made a change, which is now confirmed. This is good that the league is professional and has accountability. Always sad, especially for you as a coach, to see fellow coaches lose their job. But it's part of the professional sports landscape and not surprising that Glendale thought that they needed to make a move. Yeah, I mean, I think the... Um... Uh, it's it's interesting. You know, Glendale had a big leg up on the league. Um, uh, you know, they basically were were professional before um, uh, Major League Rugby. I think they were able to recruit the best players because of that. And um, you know, it, 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 I'm not sure how much they've really improved from last year. So they've they've had a penalty problem that they haven't dealt with. They have a handling problem they hadn't dealt with. But probably the biggest issue was that they had a scrum problem that they didn't deal with. And I think that it was their scrum that um, that that is the thing that prevented them from um, uh, from from making the playoffs. And, and you know, what what everyone learned from last year was that having a dominant scrum is important. You saw people go out and get tight heads up from overseas and the tight head that um, Glendale got from Auckland just wasn't up to it. Um, I think our producer Aaron Castro would say that they never got their lock combinations right, and um, so I think it was in you know it was it's tough for Dave Williams. I'm sure that he will surface somewhere. He has a long history as a strength and conditioning coach with USA Rugby, and and um, now um, you know has worked as an assistant coach with the Eagles. Um, I think that he's a he's a quality coach, and I'm sure he'll um, we'll see him coaching again soon. Yep, it's always uh, it's a sad part of the game. But uh, for the Sabercats, though, not only do they get the win, improving their record uh, to three in a row, they turn it around on the Saturday out in Utah for CBS Game of the Week. You and Mark Sabina are out there. And they get the win on the road against Utah to go four in a row to end the year. And, you know, mixed emotions for... Sabercats fans of you know, great to see them finish the year so strong, but many left scratching their heads saying, well, what took you so long? Well, I mean, that's always the way. I mean, I think that um, the Sabercats has always had a squad that could, that can compete. Um, but I think that they, you know, I think they were playing a style of game that didn't match their players. And, and what poor Emmerich, so I think there's, there's a couple of things. I had a conversation with Darren Morris before the game, who's the, former Welsh um, international and British Lion, who I think's had a big impact in in working with the team. And, and both Darren and Paul both talked about a couple of different things, right? So one, they talked about really connecting with the players and giving the players some ownership. So, so engaging with the players and letting the players take some ownership about what's going on. And then the second thing they said is like making sure everyone just really enjoys playing. And you could see in the games that they've played since Paul, I mean, Paul just smiles a lot. And I think it's infectious. And you can see the Houston Sabercats enjoying playing rugby. And I have to say, Dan, a month ago when I knew I was doing this game, I was like, I'm not sure this can be a good game. This was a great game of rugby. Um, I think both of these teams kind of ended the season and said, man, if we were playing like this earlier, we might be in the playoffs. And Utah, had they had this game in hand and threw it away. Yeah, it, and you and I, 
talked uh, off air during the week as well about what that game meant for both those sides to finish well. But no bearing on the playoffs. So let's jump into the three games that made up Super Sunday. And you were on one of the games in San Diego. I was in Seattle. So we'll go with Toronto, New York first because this was really the the game with both sides, you know, win and they had a top four spot locked up. Um, it was, in my opinion, the, the most important game of the round because both sides had so much to benefit from a win but didn't have a necessarily a death sentence with a loss as well, which we found out to be true. It was 22-20. The Arrows get the win off a drop goal from San Malcolm late in the game over New York. Anxious moments for Rooney. I don't know if you've seen the video, but they're in a conference room watching the San Diego NOLA game later. And as we now know, New York sneaked through into fourth place with the result of that game. But this one, really a great effort from Toronto to control possession and territory, both over 50% falling their way and just forced New York to tackle significantly more. I think New York ended up with 182 tackles, 125 for Toronto. So put them to task up there. That's... To me, that's finals rugby right there. Just controlling the ball, controlling the tempo, making them tackle, emptying that tank, and then getting the win any way possible. Well, I mean, this is like one of these interesting games for me because I, I felt that um, throughout the game, um, Toronto, this is a game I actually um, watched uh, this morning because I it was like um, I had it on when I was, I was in San Diego, Dan. I'm um, sorry, Mark and Stacey and I were sitting in a coffee shop preparing for – our game and we had it on and actually some of the NOLA boys came into the coffee shop where we were because it was near the beach and kind of watched a little bit with us but I think that this was a really interesting game because I felt like you know when you when you were watching it and, and you would look up all you would see is Toronto playing well and New York defending and just about holding on but this is the thing that actually I think gives New York the the opportunity they're very opportunistic Right, they've got backs that if you give them space on turnover ball can do some really special things. Um, ben Foden is a tackle breaking machine, so you give him some space, it's it's it it, it can be a problem. Um, they their scrum is solid, like 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 they're they're physical. They're not a pretty team to watch, but but they're kind of like bloody minded. I, I mean, I think this is like one. It's almost like they they refuse, even though they're not playing well to let the other team get ahead. And so I thought their commitment was really effective. And the real challenge they had was normally their strength. It's their line-out. Their, their line-out was, was um, a problem for them. They only won 67% of the line-outs, but actually they didn't have that many line-outs. Um, let me come down. I'm just pulling up the stats now. I mean, they had four line-outs in the whole game. And that's partly because Toronto, in terms of their penalties, had their penalty. I think they were at seven penalties. So Toronto were able to take away Rooney's biggest strength, which is their line-out drive, by just having discipline on the field. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at the carries and the meters and you would expect with the possession advantage that uh, that Toronto enjoyed, it would be a, a big mismatch. But 780 to 736 is pretty close. You could see that when they did have the ball, they were effective. It just... Not enough in the right parts of the field. And I, for New York. yeah, and I thought that like the, this is a game where some of the um, Toronto forwards really had to be tested, and so you know um, you looked at you know having a prop um, Rob Brower, who I think's been a, a really great player. Like you know he, he made um, fifteen tackles 
Um, you know, I think the Luke Campbell had an amazing game. He had 18 carries and, it, and had seven tackles and made them all. I mean, I just think this is where their forwards really stood up and were counted. And, um, you know, I think the um, it was also a, probably the best game I've seen Matt Houston play. I mean, remember, Matt Houston kind of started on the bench for Rooney, but now I think he's become really critical. He's one of their best poachers. He turns the ball over really well. Um, you know, he's a he's a good defender. He made 16 tackles. Um, but I think that it was actually his support play around the field was was really good. And and Ross Deacon, who I think is the glue that keeps Rooney together, having him back is what allowed them to stay close. Yeah, it was uh it was a tight game. It really was finals rugby come a week earlier, I felt watching that game. Yeah, it was a quarter final, right? It was win and you're in lose and you don't have much control remember rooney only got one bonus point i mean i mean that was the you know if they got two bonus points they were almost certainly in but because they only got one bonus point they were nervous but the san diego defense held out for them did they what let's move on to that game because statistically speaking and i know you love your stats there's some real pearls in this one i just went through the stats earlier today for the first time and this was tough to watch because you guys kicked off 30 minutes before we did so we actually had the phone up with your game on while we were calling our game and i had to be very conscious to not start glancing down and all of a sudden calling jp duplicy as jp smith gets the ball and <laughs> it was a very unique situation but one of them that caught my mind was the total meters gained for these sides. NOLA, almost 1,000 meters, 998, only 500 for San Diego. So, I mean, that statistic right there just blew me away that NOLA really had every opportunity to make the most of this game. That defense from the Legion, it's ranked number one in the league for a reason, just outstanding, 60% territory, a possession, 53% territory, the favor of NOLA, yet they couldn't muster more than 10 points in a game where their season was on the line. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a really interesting game. I mean, it just, it, it was so, it, it made it clear how San Diego wins, right? So, so the challenge that Nola had throughout the game was they could not get outside the um, San Diego wall because of the line speed. They were coming off the line. They just weren't able to get it wide. But every time they got outside the wall, they would make, like 50 or 60 meters. So so that's where you get that stat, which is that they would make those breaks. But the athleticism of San Diego was so great that even if they made that break, like Nate Osborg is there, Ryan Mattias is there, Mikey, like everyone is just there. And there was there was actually a tackle. It was really an amazing tackle. It was um Nola had the ball. It was uh um it was in the second half. And, um, you know, Nola had scored their try. They were looking to go again. And they had this beautiful play where they put Tristan um, Blewett through a hole about 10 metres out. And somehow, JP Duplessis, from the defending position in the line, came across and cut down Tristan Blewett. I mean, it was like an unbelievable tackle. But it showed how difficult it is to score against... um, San Diego and JP Duplessis. Every time I watch him, he's great. He's amazing. Like he's their leading poacher. He turns the ball over. He's physical. He's physical with ball with hand. But that work rate when he made that tackle, I mean, I'm, I still don't know how he got there. It was phenomenal. Yeah, he's like that unicorn, isn't it? You know, he physical in defense. He goes out and makes uh, 19 tackles, you know, leads along with Jordan Manahera. 
leads with carries, so carries the ball 10 times. He handles well, he passes well, and he's got that little edge to him where, you know, you, sometimes he's, you don't see in some outside backs. I know he's been playing a lot of 12, but he's kind of got that real hard nose, tough edge to him. And we saw that from a lot of the great center pairings from the Springboks in particular in the 90s where they had that really tough, you know, we're not the most dynamic and athletic. We're not ever going to go, you know, head-to-head with these great, you know, the Walter Littles and the Frank Bunces of, uh, of the All Blacks but they out-physical them. They just got a lot tougher and, and meaner at the breakdown. And that's what we see in JP Duplessis. He's certainly a throwback to that uh, stereotypical Springbok 12 from back in the uh, the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really was. And, and I have to say that, like, so one of the things that was so interesting about this game, and it was such, it was actually a very, very close game um, in terms of the way the game was being played. Nola's scrum. I mean, this has been a like Nola and Glenn, like Glendale had a bad scrum. Nola's scrum has just been a weak point. Um, they bring in um, Ross Davis, who's a um, you know a, a, an experienced Welsh professional. He comes in, and in the first half, there are three penalties against San Diego, and San Diego in the first half even decide not to do a five-meter scrum when they had a penalty, and they ended up tapping it. I mean, I, and I'm going to give a big shout out to my guy, Alex Corbisario, who's who's been down there working with um, Nola for the last three or four weeks, and as well as um, Ryan Fitzgerald, who made that decision to bring him in because that's been their weak point, and they that was what kept this game so close. But the ability of um, San Diego to take every opportunity they get and for Nola not to be able to convert their breaks that was the difference in the game. And that's why it looks like it's an easy game, but actually it was hard work for San Diego. I think the loss of Scott Gale leading up to that game was tough too to overcome. And you know, Taylor Howden, great player in his own uh, right, but that late change at 10 would have been pretty dissettling to their uh, continuity in attack, especially around that set piece. But yeah, how about Corbs? I, part of me thought Fitzy's going to get him down there. They're going to do a couple of sessions. And he's like, you just want to, you know, show me how – just jump into one, Corbs, and just show <laughs> well, – what do you think? And, oh, and then, you know oh, – Step back. Corb Zero did a whole week with them last year. Oh, come on, Aaron. Stop running on our parade. We're, we're pumping up Corbs' tyres here. No, I'm, yeah, I'm, not sure what that, I'm not sure even what that means. So, so I, like, like I, I, I get that, Aaron. But I think so. So getting back to the, the thing that Dan said, Ryan actually texted me and said, "Hey, do you think we can get Alex to play?" And I said, <laughs> "Not, not within the salary, not within the salary cap." Like I'm sure there's we a number. To... I'm sure there's a number, but it's not something that any team can can afford. We have to bust out the salary sombrero again to create a little extra space under there. The cap's just not big enough right. for Corbs. Yeah, he's on that. Uh, he's on that NBC money now. He's so doing okay. Don't worry. He is. So another late change. So Scott Gale. Um, you know, we we actually had to scramble because we thought he was. We thought he was starting, and he wasn't dressed to start, and that's how we found out. But but um, you know, another late change was um, Nick Bursick coming in at lock, and that guy had a phenomenal game. Like he scored, but he also like did everything around the field. That's what happens when you put someone on the bench and you're like, oh, you're starting. He's like, screw you, coach. He, he like played that game that was like, I should never have been on the bench. It was an impressive performance. 
Yeah, the Seabass. He goes good, doesn't he? He's a good player. Big, big lump too. Gets around the field well. Good to see. I had, I think he had some troubles this year on the injury front that kind of kept him in and out of the side. Um, I may be wrong, but I think it was something to do with his hand or his wrist. It may have been a broken bone early in the year. So that kind of put a bit of a dampener on, but good to see him back fighting fist again. The big, the big man, Nick Bursic. Good, good player. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that we haven't mentioned, Dan, is the um, early loss of Eric Howard, the captain. I mean, every, not much was going well for for um, Nola going into this game. Like the fact they were able, even able to keep it close. But when you've got to score tries against your um, like the best team in the league, losing your starting fly half um, right before kickoff isn't a good way to do it. And then losing your hooker in the first half is another way not to do it. Like, you know, um, we heard this week that um, Nate Osborne, the coach, and Ryan Fitzgerald, um, the GM, have both been promoted. Um, sorry, um, had their contracts renewed. And I think that's well-deserved because they had an opportunity in this game, but it, things just didn't work out for them. Yeah, I'll, I'll go on record right now. I think not only do they go to the playoffs in the next three years, I think there's a championship in... New Orleans, if they can keep the core of this group together with that coaching staff, that front office. The turnaround from 2018 to 19 tells me that they are trending in the right direction and they're going to be devastated. They missed the finals and I understand that. But uh, I think once the, the pain of losing to San Diego and missing out in the finals and kind of subsides a little bit, they'll kind of retrospectively look at the season and be like, you know what we did? We did amazingly well compared to last year. Let's build off that and go better next year. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think the um, you know Ryan and Nate. Uh, it's for them. It's a long term project. It's not just about this year. It's not just about this game. And I I know they're gutted, especially considering how well they started. I mean, of course, they had a lot of home games to start off with. Um, and you know, I think they're 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 another team that um, you know struggled with the evolution of defense. So defense last year. Um, wasn't strong in the league and it wasn't strong early this year. But as the teams have gone through the season and they've got more and more reps, they've become tighter and tighter. And you see that in that last weekend with teams not getting bonus points when early on in the season, everyone was getting a bonus point. And, you know, in the first eight games, um, Nola were regularly scoring above 30 points. And in the last eight games, I think they only did it twice. So it was part of like the tightening of the screw of the defense. And I'm not sure that they evolved enough on attack um, to be able to deal with that. So at that point, at the end of that game, Seattle and Austin were well into their game. Seattle had locked up a bonus point, guaranteeing them a spot in the playoffs. New York knew they were in the playoffs, and it was just a matter of who was going to fall where. And the Seawolves end up, well, they were pretty comfortable for most of this game until the back uh, 15 minutes, but they get the bonus point win up there that lock up second place. But... Again, I looked at this performance. I called this game up there, Pete. I know you were missed most of it because you were on the call. It wasn't uh, a performance from the Seawolves that would fill me with uh, much confidence going into the finals. Well, you know, they they had some rejigging around right in their uh, um, in their back line. So they had um, Phil Mack at nine and JP Smith at ten and Ben Seaman at fifteen because of Matt Turner's. Um, was at his kid's birth, but they, I mean, you know, so I haven't seen this game, Dan, but I certainly followed it. And I thought they were up for, you know, and dominant for the first 60 minutes and like took the, it, it looks like in the score, they just took their foot off the, 
pedal in the last 15 or maybe their subs just didn't step up. No, it was definitely a case of foot off the gas. Let's kind of start thinking about next week. And it was that kind of game. And I think you've mentioned this a few times. Austin, one thing they did extremely well this year was dragging good teams into a bad game. Right. And um, they did a fantastic job of that. But, you know, a lot of players retired. And I think we will do a segment dedicated more to that as we move on towards the championship. But Andrew Suniula, great player for the USA, and he's played club rugby. He spent a lot of time in Chicago with the elite the last two years. He says goodbye to professional rugby and just an absolute class act. It was great to see him and his brothers, Roland and Shalom, as well before the game. Um, you know, Matt Turner missed out. Shalom Suniula was a late scratch as well, which, as we know, we, we made a little bit of uh, – make, make a little bit of fun of him sometimes for his tackling, but he is a very important part of that side. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think this is a team that wanted to get through the game healthy. I think one of the really interesting um, and exciting players is Jeff Hassler, um, who was a player of the year at the Ospreys, I think, two years ago, and then basically took a break from rugby and has come back. And, um, you know, Richie Walker's been slowly easing back in. But every time that guy gets the ball, um, it's exciting. And it's going to be interesting to see how they manage this back line because, you know, the question is, do you play Hassler at 13? Do you play him on the wing? Um, do you play the uh, Soniolo brothers? Um, you know, George Barton at 13, probably not his natural position. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see um, some of the choices that Richie Walker makes in that back line. And then, you know, Samu Manoa, um, you know, at, uh, at six, you know, he's, again, getting back into the swing of thing. It's amazing. He's only played, what, I think three games, and he's already um, one of their top uh, turnover merchants at the breakdown. But he moved Brad Tucker in at five, and Brad Tucker had an – I mean, so I, I've watched the highlights of this game, and the try that Brad Tucker scored is something that every back row forward should watch because his line of run, I think he's got to be – when that ball goes wide, he's got to be about 20 metres in front of the ball running a line for the break so when that break happens he can be on the inside and take that pass and score it's a really amazing line of run very like a real elite level understanding of the game yeah it's something that i think a lot of young players need to develop in their game and that's that support play because it's easy to think once the ball's gone your job's done but those top level players and you know brad tucker comes in with an amazing pedigree and you know, in my opinion, will probably be in the discussion for MVP for the entire season for Major League Rugby. He, he's it's probably him and a couple other players in that discussion. But I remember watching New Zealand All Blacks play at Soldier Field and Aaron Smith really, it, it went home for me. He would pass the ball. He would run behind the defensive line anticipating a break. He was just, you know, and it's such an opportunistic way, but it's – it's an easy way to score a lot of tries. So I know kids like scoring tries. So just follow your pass and push downfield and just, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And that's what Brad Tucker did. And he reaped the rewards with a, with a, his second five-pointer of the game. Yeah, it's uh, – I mean, I mean, I think that's the, the strength of their back three. So their back five in the scrum, you know, where they've got, um, you know, Eric Duchel on the bench – um, they've got Taylor um, Crumroy, who was like a great player for them last year. I actually think that the strength and depth in their forwards for Seattle is going to be very important for their game against Toronto. Let me ask you this, Pete, and I know this is more of a preview question than a review question. 
What do you do at Fly Half? So I think it depends on the game that you want to play, right? And I think that, um, you know, this is the sort of thing where, you know, it's easy to be a coach that kind of like basically watches a game. But I think, it, um, you know, it's going, to tend, it, it's going to depend on how they break down the um, uh, um, how they break down the, um, the the Toronto play for me, I would still probably go with JP Smith at nine and um, Ben Seymour at 10, because I can always bring Phil Mack in and there's not a scrum half in the league who is better in broken play than Phil Mack. So bring him on when the game is breaking up, move JP Smith to 10, um, let JP Smith use his huge left foot and um, play some territory at the end. Um, that's probably what I'd do, but it's a really tough call. Well, that wrapped up Super Sunday. It was uh, a win for Seattle. Our final order, uh, San Diego, they are the minor premiers, and then Seattle, Toronto, and New York sneak into fourth. But our player of the week from all the weekend's game was for the Seattle Seawolves. We've already been waxing lyrical about his performance. It was the man known as the boogeyman, Big Brad Tucker. All right, we are joined now by MLR Player of the Week, the Seattle Seawolves utility forward, Brad Tucker. And Brad, appreciate you joining the show, big fella. How are you feeling leading into a, a big semi-final match this weekend? Obviously excited, mate. Um, body's starting to come right after a tough one versus Austin and just starting to turn the eyes really towards that game Sunday. Yeah, you had that little little stumble against Utah. How was the week leading up to Austin, uh, you know, going after that game? Pretty uh, pretty intense film session or is it kind of just, you know, let's just forget it and move on? Uh, a, a bit of both. We didn't get out and flog ourselves on the field. Uh, as you said, we, we got stuck into the film, really nuts and bolts kind of stuff, and then gave the bodies a little bit more of a rest than you'd expect probably. And it helped. Obviously, we started really well into the Austin game and, just set our sights towards what we needed to do to make the semi and obviously came out and produced a much better result on the weekend. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about your performance on the weekend because, you know, player of the week, I, long time coming. You know, I've had Brock Staller on here twice. I'm not sure how wingers keep getting picked as player of the week where you just keep grinding away week in, week out. So, you know, just so you know, you know, this is not, this delay wasn't caused by me. Oh, I appreciate that, mate. <laughs> So you went for 14 carries, 108 metres, big game, two tries. So I think that might have helped your cause, getting over the try line. The uh, the fans love try scorers. But the big one, mate, 21 tackles, no misses yet again. When you go into a game, you know what? do you have some parameters, some little goals that you set in your mind in terms of you know how many touches you want, how many tackles you want to get involved with as well? Um, yeah, I think I've got some, some stuff in the back of my head, but... I guess it's just get involved in the game early and then um, once I get involved early, it's sort of you just go with the flow and uh, the way we play really lends well to our forwards having big games, so I can't complain there. Now talk us through those tries on the weekend. The first one, typical you know, forwards try, in very tight off Phil Mack. The second one, though, mate, you really did a great job pushing forward there. Is that something you kind of try to work on your game, that, uh, su- that support player role? Because you come from a long way to back uh, Jeff Hassler back up on the inside there. Yeah, I guess uh, if you're if, if you're on your feet, just work hard and and you might be rewarded with a try. I saw Big Hass with a little bit of space and thought, hey, he's got a bit of wheels. So if I uh, take the fat man track up the middle, I might get rewarded. And 
thankfully enough, he found me and skipped JP and I got a wee meat pie there. I don't know if you've seen the footage. JP is fuming too. He oh, throws the, the yeah, little the hissy fit. He wasn't, he, and he had to correct himself because you see, oh, you know, I've got to be a team player, but he kind of did the double fist pump, the little, you know, the little child stamping of the foot that he didn't get the ball back inside, but he quickly turned that around to celebrate. But let's talk about your journey over to Seattle. You know, you uh, played a lot of rugby down in New Zealand, uh, might have 10 with Waikato there back in uh, 2016. You've kind of been at Taranaki a couple of other places as well. What inspired the move over to Seattle this season? Um, I guess for me, actually, it was what Sh- uh, Shalom reached out and sort of said, mate, there's a there's a bit of an opportunity here, sort of looking for a player that can fill a couple of positions if needed, and um, we think you'd fit in well with the boys. And I don't know, I guess I took a bit of a stab in the dark, and um, I've really enjoyed it so far. It's been awesome. So uh got to say thanks to Shalom. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Lomi. Uh, obviously, you know, you've repaid him by making all these tackles this year. I think he, he's up at the top of the league for missed tackles. So is that was that part of the arrangement that you oh, would do the tackling if you came over? That was definitely part of the deal. He said, look, Tux, I'm getting a bit on an age now. I um, need someone to look after me a bit. And I said, hey, I can probably look after you, mate. Mate, you're still pretty young, 26, you know, in terms of, especially in the forwards for rugby, that's, you know, probably in your prime years. Are you kind of looking at settling down over here in Seattle or, or looking at maybe uh, expanding those wings a little bit uh, across the world to keep playing? Um, I think just sort of taking it as it goes at the moment, uh, especially with how the team's gone this year. And uh, I've definitely enjoyed it here. So certainly in the, in the up-and-coming immediate future, I'll definitely be here for a couple of seasons. But uh, you know just as well as me what rugby's like. Um, any opportunity to play. Um, and experience the world. It's uh, it's a game that gives you those chances. So I guess we'll just take it as it comes. Oh, it's very philosophical of you, Brad. So your uh, your brother James, pretty handy player as well. Is there any truth to the rumor that he asked you to leave New Zealand because you were kind of stealing his limelight? Oh, I don't know about that. He's been a bit dinged up with injuries, so uh, I think he was getting a little bit sick of it. But nah, he's uh, he's ripping it up, mate. There's no there's no truth to that rumor. No truth. I don't. It's just, it's floating out there. I had to address it. You understand. Now, the boys back home, you know, you've obviously played at a couple of clubs. Do they, uh, do they watch the Major League Rugby? They get behind it? Yeah, there's, uh, there's heaps of guys that are getting in around it, actually. There's a lot of, I guess, excitement starting to come out of New Zealand looking at this competition, particularly the way it runs uh, well with the Mitre 10 Cup and the opportunity to potentially play both if that's what you want to do. Um, your likes of Sammy Malcolm and Tim O'Malley, I know, are already going back for Mitre 10 as soon as their seasons are wrapped up. So um, the way it works like that, there's definite interest coming out of NZ. So Sam Malcolm, you're looking to send him home next week to Mitre 10 Cup. The Toronto Arrows, they come in to Starfire this Sunday. What are you expecting from the Arrows? Oh, tough, gritty performance, to be fair, I think. Um, we've still got our tail between our legs after going up to Toronto and getting a hiding. So um, I wouldn't say it's a revenge game, but we're definitely looking to put our best foot forward after that. Uh, we know they're going to bring a tough tough forward pack and a good kicking game. So we just got to be prepared for that and ready for a grind, to be fair. And for yourself and the Seawolves, how's the preparation been? We're midweek now, so... Starting to really get into the nuts of the bolts of the uh, of the week. How's the week gone so far for you guys? 
Yeah, first couple of days, just getting the bodies right. Um, good session today and a couple of big training days coming up, obviously leading into the game, uh, and then start winding it down Saturday with the captain's run. Um, going through the finer points, obviously a lot of film heading into a semi-final, and uh, obviously we got done by a trick play on the weekend, so trying to study Toronto, maybe they've got one of them coming for us as well. Yeah, I'd say they've got something special. And, I mean, that's something that uh, we haven't seen over in the U.S., the quality of the film now that teams can really do some scouting in the long season. Who's been one of the more impressive guys locally that you've seen? So you've come over here and someone in the side that's really stood out for you for Seattle this year. Um, for me, obviously, JP, uh, slow start to the season, but he's come on leaps and bounds in the last few weeks. Um, from the guys that were already here, I think you can't look past, well, a few of them are a bit dinged up, but the, those front row guys and the likes of Vili, uh, Ollie, um, John Hayden and Callan Gordon, you know, those guys front up week in, week out and give us one of the best scrums in the in the comp. So um, it was definitely something coming out of NZ. I didn't expect to be so strong, but it's been pretty impressive. Any update on Vili? How's he doing? Um, I don't know what I'm allowed to say, but I think he's uh, he's itching to go. Um, it's just it's a tough one, you know, coming in, having missed so many weeks and you've got a semi-final, what do you do, you know? Yeah, you've said enough. Thanks, Thanks for that. I appreciate it. I got it now. Hey, I want to do a little true and false with you because, you know, you've come into uh, Major League Rugby with this reputation, and I'm not sure where it came from, but, you know, people are just enamored with Brad Tucker. It's Brad Tucker fever. So we're going to do true or false. All right. Ready? Brad Tucker once killed two stones with one bird. True or false? Uh, that one's true. That was true. Uh, Brad Tucker counted to infinity twice. True or false? Ah, false. Definitely can't count that high. Okay. You can take your shoes off as part of it, though. Oh, nah, still false. Still false. Okay. Uh, Brad Tucker once beat the sun in a staring contest. Uh, No, that's false. I'd be very sunburned after that. No, you had SPF that they had everything on. Oh. But just... You just had to stare at, like, you had the long sleeves and the wide-brim hat because we know the whole melanin challenge thing that you're facing, and I'm not going to – I don't want to enrage you over that again. So, <laughs> all right, last one. And I think this one is going to be true. Brad Tucker once beat a brick wall in a game of tennis. Yes. Did, yes. Yes. True. Yeah. That, that kind of went around the league, and I, I'm like, that has to be true because – yeah, you know, you're an all-rounder, uh, not only rugby, tennis, and uh, a couple of other things that we can't talk about in the pod as well. <laughs> so let's let's go forward, and and not to put any pressure on on your you and your teammates, but let's say things work out this weekend against Toronto. Looking at the other semi-final, mate, who do you like in that one, San Diego and New York? Jeez, uh, we've had tough games all year against them. Obviously, for me. Uh, we've gone down to San Diego twice. I think uh, the physicality they bring and class across the field, they're going to be tough to beat. But uh, I'd say if there's anyone that could do it, it's New York. But gut feel San Diego. Yeah, tough too, road trip, right? New York to San Diego. They got them there in round one, though. That's the one that kind of got me interested was Mike Tolkien and the crew went out there early in the year and beat them on the road. So a little bit of self-belief going into it. But oh, for sure. So do you think you can turn the tide on San Diego? I mean, last year you weren't here, but Seattle lost to Glendale twice in the regular season. 
knock them off in the championship game. You think history can repeat if you do face San Diego in that championship? Uh, yeah, mate, you know what it's like. It's, it's a final. Whoever fronts up on the day is going to take the win. I think um, teams have come in with far worse records than ours and toppled teams with better records than San Diego. So we front up with the right mindset and attitude. Anything can happen. Um, personally, yeah, definitely think, obviously, you're never going to say you think your team's going to lose to anyone. Well, mate, I appreciate you jumping on tonight. I'm really looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. I'll try to uh, contain myself, but <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a well-earned man crush from you. You've had an outstanding year this year, and it has really been an absolute pleasure to call your games. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And we appreciate all the work you guys do. I mean, it wouldn't be such a good production without you guys. So um, from all the players, uh, love your work, guys, and, um, and keep it up, eh? Oh, you just got a couple extra comments Aimed your way this weekend, Bradley. There he is, big Brad Tucker, who is our player of the week for the final regular season week for 2019. He will be taking on the Toronto Arrows along with his teammates this Sunday on CBS Sports. So make sure you tune in and catch that game, Brad Tucker and the Seawolves. Thanks again, Brad. Cheers, mate. That was Brad Tucker from the Seattle Seawolves, our player of the week for the final week of the regular season. He goes into the semifinals against Toronto. And before we jump into our power matchup of the week and the preview of both semifinals, we're going to welcome in a special guest, former USA Eagle and recently retired Glendale Raptor, Zach Fenolio. Zach, thanks a lot for joining the show and uh, providing some insight into the remaining four sides. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's an honor to be here. Now, you've actually joined at the best part of the podcast for myself and Pete, because Pete, guess what time it is? It's not the best part. It's it's Dan's best part. But, Pete? Um, it's, Guess what time it is? Is it the Steinberg matchup of the week? Listen, listen to this new intro. You got the touch. You got the power. Yeah. Whoa! How about? Synthesizer solo there from Stan Bush and the touch from the Transformers cartoon back in the 80s. Great stuff. Power matchup of the week coming your way right now. I'm going to go first because last week I deferred to you, Pete, and you uh, you really held up your end. For me, it's going to be whoever plays fullback for San Diego in the absence of Mike Teo. Huge, huge shoes to fill. And it'll be against Kahul Marsh and Ben Foden. The kicking game down there on a fast dry track in San Diego Positional play is going to be key. Otherwise, I can see York grinding that one out if the fullback is not uh, on his toes in the replacement of Mike Tao down there. Pete, who do you like for your matchup of the week? Well, I was going to go with that matchup of the week. But oh, I we will, agree. I, no, we, we did agree. But I, I had another one, which, which is also another interesting selection dilemma for the coach. And it's going to be Sam Malcolm from the Arrows up against who is going to start at fly half for Seattle? So is it going to be J.P. Smith or is it going to be Ben Seamus? So I, that's another interesting selection decision and another interesting matchup. So that's the matchup from the other game. Don't want to put you on the spot, Zach, but anything this weekend that kind of tickles your fancy? Yeah, I mean, you know, all, all, all two games, you know, four teams are coming in, hitting the right stride at the right time. Um, I'm really excited, though, to – See Toronto, who's just on a tear up in uh, in Canada now, being back on the road and going against what, in my opinion, the, the hardest place to play is um, up in Seattle, and seeing what that 
16th man feels like um, going against the hot team in Toronto right now. So I think it's going to be an interesting matchup to see how those two teams duke it out with the fan base in Seattle. Yeah, that game sold out within a couple of hours of being announced yesterday. It'll be at Starfire. So standing room only at Starfire this Sunday. So that should be a good one. All right, Zach, Pete, let's jump into the previews for this weekend. Two games, the semifinals, both on Sunday. First one will kick off at 5 p.m. Eastern. It'll be 2 p.m. local time down at Torero Stadium at San Diego taking on Rooney. One versus four on CBS Sports. Pete, you're going to be down at this game calling it with Mark Stabina. What do you think this one is going to look like? Well, I mean, I think this is going to be a very, very interesting game because it's, um, you know, the Legion play in the right places. And if you looked against the uh, Nola Gold last week, they kicked a lot. But if you go back and look at how they played against um, New York, they're willing to run it from their own half if New York gives them that that space. And so Joe Peterson, his decision making on when to kick and when to run is going to be really, really critical on for the Legion and, the, and their attack. We've already talked about the loss of Mikey Teo and how important um, that is and who they're going to play back there. And the other thing I think is going to be really, really interesting is it's New York's direct game with their forwards matched up against the um, uh, San Diego middle defense. And I want to, um, you know, we're going to, let's, let's go to the stats, Dan. I want to go to the stats. Let me see. I'm like pulling it up somewhere in here. So we have some player stats, but I'm pretty certain that I think there are four defenders for um, San Diego that lead the league in dominant tackles. So four four of the of the top ten. I'm just pulling this up right here. So in dominant tackles, um, number two is is uh, um, Paddy O'Ryan with 25. Number four is. Um, uh, Kenny Nasagenge, it'll be interesting to see if he's even on the field. Um, the center um, at lock, the center, um, JP Duplessis is at five. Lou Stanfield is at nine. Um, and uh, um, Faka um, Pefaledi is at 12, along with um, uh, uh, Yasser Veramalua. So they have the defenders. San Diego bring a physical defense in the middle of that field. But that is where Rooney try to get their go forward. And that's where they generate space for their outside back. So to me, look, you know, can San Diego match up against the physical pack is going to be one of the critical things that happens. Yeah, these are the two top defensive units in Major League Rugby, San Diego 1, New York 2. Now, interesting that San Diego's only losses this year came against two of the teams in the top four. Two losses to Toronto, one to New York. That was in round one out there. They have a draw as well to the Glendale Raptors. Zach, let's bring you in first to talk San Diego. They really gave you guys a hiding at home out there in Torero Stadium at the back end of the year. Where do you see weaknesses or where do you see strengths and how do you think San Diego play New York on Sunday? Yeah, San Diego is a really interesting team. Um, you know, their heart and soul comes from their forwards. They, they rally around each other, pride themselves on the set piece and, and really gain their momentum from that. But it's crazy to say that their heart and soul comes from their forwards when they have such an impressive uh, back line, especially, you know, with Joe Peterson right there at the helm, um, kind of navigating everything. So, you know, they're, they're an extremely talented team. I, I think what separates them um, from other other teams in the league and, and where you know we fell that they really put on a lot of pressures 
is their depth. And, um, you know, they're, they're constantly having to try and figure out who's going to be the best 15 because they've got so many good people to choose from. And then that second wave off the bench is just so strong. So I really think San Diego is, is impressive um, and really gained a lot of momentum towards the end of the season by picking up a few key players and, and then now allowing them to have that depth to, to, wait, to bring that second wave in strong. Um, you know, Rooney plays with so much heart. And, um, you know, a lot of their their pride comes from their forwards and and guys like Butch who, who and, and Quill, who have played such inspiring rugby this year. Um, you know, but I just I, I wonder about the depth coming off the bench, if that's going to be able to match with with San Diego's um, and then, you know, playing at home. Obviously, you can't underwrite that. But you know, San Diego's have done a great job um, with their coaching staff. And I think uh, they're just such a strong, strong force. Um, one through twenty three. Yeah. It's, uh- if you if you can, Zach, can you talk a little bit about how how you would go about defending the Rooney lineout? Because one of the things that San Diego, San Diego brings to this game is they're the most penalized team in the league, and so that gives um, with kickers like Cahill Marsh and um, Ben Foden, that's going to give some good attacking platforms, and that Rooney lineouts being very very strong it's the one of the reasons why dylan forced it's one of the leading try scorers so can you talk a little bit about what it's like to face that mall and and how you might think about defending it yeah it's it's so funny um you know i was very much in that same kind of position that butch was in this year as far as benefiting from all the hard work that the fords do in a mall and it's it's truly just with a point of pride that um those guys carry into the mall um you know one guy scores that mauling try, but seven people had to, to grind to get to that point and uh, and get no glory from it. So, you know, what I love about Rooney is is they're intermixed with, you know, some, some high-profile guys, but for the most part, they just have a blue-collar approach to what they do, and so that makes it super tough to defend against um, because they, they play as a, as a forward pack united instead of just kind of eight individuals. Um, so I think in order to kind of counter that, you need to get up and, and get in um, Butch's face early. He's got a great throw. Um, and so once you give him that confidence to, to keep going, you know, he, he's going to be unstoppable and just be ripping it in all night. So, um, you know, I think getting up early and, and really forcing contests um, at the line out and not letting easy wins go through um, is going to be massively important. And then mixing it in where you're just going head hunting right from the get go, not worrying about the line out and, and going in and, and just trying to smash and disrupt there. Cause once they, once they get collected, I mean, they, they can score from pretty much anywhere on the field in that mall. So I think getting up early and often and putting pressure, uh, on top of them is going to be a key for, for San Diego to try and stop that. I mean, one of the things, I'm sorry, Dan. No, no, like you I'm, keep I'm, going. I'm, I'm, I mean, like a coach's moment, right? Talking to an elite player. One of the things that, that San Diego did was they did a really great job of getting that first shove in the mall. And they, they were able, when they played New York, I went back and looked at their games today, they were really actually able to, to, to like not stop the mall, but at least disrupt it a little bit. And it's like you said, I think there's, it's just a mindset. So, so that's the mall. Let's talk about the San Diego scrum and um, going up against Paddy Ryan. So as a hooker, um, you, you must have been cheek to cheek with his, uh, with his, grizzly beard what is it that makes paddy ryan such a strong tight head yeah i mean you know it's that the foundation that he sets um you know there really aren't too many weak links that he provides in the scrum and uh you know because he's so rock solid he he pretty much allows the other seven players to kind of work to attack the rest of the side so uh you know by him 
dominating and his side of the scrum and really kind of locking up that side, it allows um, the hooker and loose head to kind of have free reign to then go and attack where they need to go. Um, so being able to just kind of trust that he's going to lock that down, um, you know, gives the hooker and the rest of the pack a lot of confidence to know that then they can attack where, where the rest of the scrum is weakest. Um, you know, he, he's, he's got an impressive foundation. You take a look at his form and technique, you know, he gets down to a good, low, powerful, strong position, but it's that, kind of immovable object force that he brings that um, is truly impressive that, you know, once he gets locked in, he's not going anywhere. And, and then that second shove comes and it can be, it can be pretty devastating as you've seen them just dominate scrum after scrum uh, throughout the season. All right, mate, let's put you on the spot here. Who do you see winning this game and how are they going to win it? It's tough. You know, I, I uh, I'm partial. I, you know, I've, I've got a lot of good friends on both sides and um you know, I, I really, you know, very close with with a lot of those guys in New York. Um, just, just remember that that Dan has lost friendships by his picks this season. Oh, believe me, so I just know. <laughs> he, he and I have borderline uh, lost our friendship multiple times. So um, I, I understand that. I, I, I think. You know, it's going to come down to who gets up early. Um, you know, I think if New York has a chance, they've got to get up early and really assert dominance from the get-go. Um, if San Diego gets a sniff and is in that dogfight, I think it comes down to that second wave off of the bench. And San Diego's just got such an impressive bench that they bring in. Um, it is massive losing Mikey Teo. I, my heart breaks for him. He's been such an amazing resurgence this year and, and playing just on top form. But um, I really do think that it's going to come down to who wins that battle with the, with the reserves um, and going into the second half. And I think you have to tip the cap to San Diego for that. Um, but you know, New York's also been battling it out with that front 15 for, for most of their games. And so if they can, they can keep up, then I definitely think they've got a shot. But you're going for San Diego. Is what you're going San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. And just so you know, when I tipped against Glendale, you guys aren't in the playoffs. So who was right? Just there you go. <laughs> wow. Go back and pull up your record from last year and how you did, buddy. Oh! I didn't do good last year. Yeah, you're right. This is great. This is great. Year. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy. Uh, Zach, as much um, zing as you want to throw to Dan, just just an, the more you can share with our listeners backstories about Dan, I think the better off we'll be. He's he's the king of uh, poking, starting the fire, and then taking a step back and watching it just go into flames. <laughs> That's... <laughs> It's a rare talent, Zach, uh, and you're and you're learning. You're getting better every day. So I'm proud of you, my little Skywalker. All right, mate. Let's move on to the late game. This is up at Starfire Stadium. Don't, what? Don't don't we get to make a pick, or we're just going to let no. Zach pick? We're just going to put Zach in a very horrible situation with all his friends. I well, got I friends this... on both sides too. I don't want to pick. So so to be fair, we've already made our picks, and if you would like to um, find out who we've picked. Go to the Major League Rugby website, usmlr.com, and uh, check out the pundits' picks that's there. A little bit of uh, crossover marketing. Well, I think we should still tell them here anyway, Pete. I uh, I went for San Diego. I think they'll be too strong at home. That's a tough road trip for New York all the way out west. Well, I also went with San Diego, but I'm with Zach on this. I think there are some things. I think the, the penalty issues of San Diego are an opportunity for New York. I think that if New York can get some physical dominance, the, the San Diego scrum wasn't very consistent last week. They actually had a couple of scrums that they struggled with against Nola. So, I, you know, I think that San Diego going as favorites, but this is not a done deal. Okay, let's move up the coast now to Seattle. 
Starfire Stadium playing host, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on CBS Sports. This one, uh, well, this one was really tough for me. I had to sit down and kind of go through this. And Zach kind of mentioned it before how big the crowd is up there. And that was really what swayed me to go for Seattle in this game. But Toronto, after a very up and down start to the year on the road, certainly turned it on seven straight wins at home. And Zach, you know, you guys lost to Toronto up there that effectively uh, ended your season. Plus, you played the draw at home. To me, they come across as probably the most custom-built team to play finals rugby, that really tough, you know, knock-em-out, drag-em-out style rugby. What are your thoughts on Toronto going into this one? Well, first off, Dan, we didn't draw them at home. Uh, we beat them in the snowball. So, oh, you did uh, too. My apologies. It was San Diego at home. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. We've got to get our few wins and make sure they get credited for. So The snowball. Draw. You're right. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, you know, I, Toronto is uh, – they they're the, the true semblance of Canadian rugby. Um, you know, I've I've had the, the the pleasure displeasure of playing against them for many years. And um, what's always amazed me about Canadian teams is that they, they really don't have a lot of flash. They they just play good fundamental rugby um, and and kind of play with that bend don't break, wait for the other team to make the mistake. So what always impresses me is that they're not filled with these just amazing all star guys that are just going to wow you. Um, with these highlight reels, it's just um, a team that that plays for each other and, and uh, works super hard. Um, so I, I've always been impressed with them, and um, you know, knew that even during the beginning part of the season that they were just catching their stride a little late. And uh, once they took that home stand, you really saw what they could what they could do. Um, so yeah, they're they're a team that again is built around their forwards, got a lot of pride and a lot of blue collar approach to the way that they, they approach their set piece. Um, and then that carries over into just the nice free flowing play that they can, they can put out there from time to time. Okay. Let's talk Seattle. Now you guys ran into them in probably their best performance of the year when they beat you guys in infinity park, the first loss you've had at home in major league rugby there. If that Seattle turns up, it, it's going to be, you know, a really tough ass for Toronto. The last few weeks, though, they've got the job done against Austin. It wasn't that impressive. What do you think Seattle need to do to kind of flick the switch into finals mode this weekend? Yeah, you know, Seattle's like the exact opposite of Toronto when it comes to what I just spoke about. I mean, when you take a look at 1 through 23, they are just filled with impressive athletes that can put out some amazing highlight reels. Um, you know, Tucker to... Um, beast you know they just got these dominating presences that are just um are are, are fun to watch um and and tough to play against you know Seattle I think we all can agree that the biggest thing they've got going for them is just that amazing atmosphere that they play with Seattle something about that city they just love to rally around their sports and um you know I think that that's going to be the massive advantage that that they take and, and need to build around that momentum um, you know, I, I think Pete mentioned earlier that a, a big thing is going to be how, how they control their attack from the 10, and that's going to really dictate it if they try and go with a, you know, a very direct um, play from kind of any side of the field approach or if they're going to just play possession game, play in the other half of the territory and really just play um, in, in Toronto's side of the field. So I think that'll be really kind of dictate how the game goes and then building around that momentum from the, from the fans is going to be important. You know, I think this is going to be a really, really close game. And I think what's interesting is if you look at the statistics, um, Seattle have have the slight edge in the set piece. They actually have the best scrum in the league and the best attacking line out in the league. 
And in Brad Tucker, they've got one of the best line-out stealers in the league. So I think that Seattle, even though the Toronto scrum is good, I think Seattle are going to have the edge. The edge is close, but it might be an extra possession, right? And in a game that this, this is, that's this close, that's important. However, I think Toronto have the edge in the open play, right? So Toronto actually have um, a, a, a better at retaining possession at the breakdown. They're better at turning the ball down, turning the ball over. And, you know, we've talked about this before, Dan, but missing Vili for Seattle has been huge. They've got great back row forwards, but they're all physical defenders, good ball runners, but none of them really work at, at that breakdown. And I think that's going to be really important. So I expect more set piece ball to come from um, uh, to come from Seattle, but probably a couple of extra turnovers to come from the Arrows. And it's at those sorts of spaces that I think this game is going to be decided. Yeah, I think Utah gave the remaining uh, three sides, whoever gets out of that San Diego, New York side, and definitely Toronto this weekend, the blueprint on how to frustrate, you know, the Seawolves, and that's playing territory. They don't have that notoriously big kicker. J.P. Smith has a pretty good boot, but they don't have that field-flipping kicker in their side where they can turn it around. So territory in the 22, put it into a corner, force them to work it out, and you typically get a line out around their 22 is what we saw against the Warriors. Austin tried it, but just didn't have the same kicking game as Reeves and uh, O'Malley did, and then Sampler's the back as well for Utah. So Malcolm, much better kicker. Um, we'll see what they go with at nine for Toronto. But I think if Malcolm can kind of set himself up in the pocket and play those corners effectively, they give themselves uh, a heck of a chance to go uh, up to Seattle and, and cause an up. Well, I guess down, isn't it, from Toronto, down to Seattle. <laughs> across. Across. across and, uh, <laughs> and cause an upset. So I did go for Seattle in this one by three points. I think it's a bounce of a ball. I think Brock Stoll is a fantastic kicker when he finds his range, especially at home. And uh, I think it could just be a late penalty to well, get I think, them I, uh, over the line. I think, I think you're right about the kicking game because I think one of the challenges that Seattle has is that in their back three, they don't have any natural kickers. They don't have anyone whose first instinct is to return the kick. And it's been interesting to see San Diego basically play J.P. Peterson at fullback so they can have that kicking option. And Ben Seema played at fullback against the Austin, against, sorry, against the Austin, against the elite. And so I'm wondering if they might think about a bit of a rotation that like defensively might put Brock Stall at a 13. They might put um, Turner on the wing and they might put either JP Smith or Ben Seema back at fullback as a defensive option. There, So they actually do get a kicking, a decent clearance when those kicks go to the corner. Because that's always been the weakness. And, and you've got to have a great kick chase. And I think the challenge for Seattle is kick chases have improved throughout the season. It's one of those things that takes a lot of reps. And as kick chases have improved, like the breaks that Matt Turner was making earlier on in the season, I think are more difficult for him to make. He's rested up. Congratulations to Matt Turner and his uh, partner, by the way. Had a, had a baby over the weekend. So welcome to fatherhood. Uh, welcome to the club. Great club to be so he's right. so, so, so if there's one thing we know, he's going to be sleep deprived coming into the game. He'll be motivated though. <laughs> he you remember after you remember when Penelope came? It changes everything. It's, uh, you it have does. a different perspective on the world, and and uh, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised to see Matt Turner have more incentive to turn up and, and play the game of his life than he's ever had before. 
Hey, Zach, let's put you on the spot, mate. Seattle, Toronto, who you got? Yep. Um, you know, I think this was one of the ones that uh, was, a, was a tough one and you thought could maybe just go to a coin flip. There's a couple of things that kind of swayed me one way. Um, you know, Toronto's built a lot of momentum up um, playing at home. And it's one of those those blessings and a curse, right, where they, they weathered a lot of adversity early on and then took a lot of momentum and being able to play at home late in the season. And it's tough to go back on the road. And, and they, they haven't been faced with that in over nine weeks. And that's something that you can't overlook is the, the, the adjustments that it takes. And you kind of lose that routine of what you like to go through when you're on the road and things that you need to make sure you do and take care of. And so forgetting those things over time, I think comes gonna, is going to take a big role um, in, in Toronto's uh, approach. Um, and then I think, again, when I was thinking about both of these games, that the thing that stood out the most for me is the depth of these teams. And where is that going to really carry them into the second half? And, and you take a look at Seattle and Toronto's bench. Anytime you're bringing a guy like Samu Manoa off of the bench, I mean, that's that's just something that you can't overlook. And so I think Seattle um, has so much strength coming from so many different players off of the bench that that's going to really carry them through um, into that second half and, and really just remove all doubt as, as they continue on to the final minutes. Um, easy one for me to make this pick because I don't have any friends on uh, Toronto's team. So uh, I uh, have no problems picking Seattle, and I do think that's who's going to pull out the win um, with an impressive impressive form against a sold-out crowd and in a very impressive environment. Yeah, Samu was telling me that if you didn't go for them, he actually knows where you live. So he, he actually knows that because I gave him your address. So good choice. Good choice, Zach. Welcome to the podcast, buddy. Well done. Pete, who are you going for in this one? Um, I'm going for Seattle, but I think it's about to the ball. I think my, my I think it was like 34-32. I've actually been really impressed with Toronto, and I'm not sure that they've even hit their stride. I think they were heavy probably more heavily disrupted by the ARC than a lot of the teams because they had so many players that were in the Canadian squad and they even have guys playing for Uruguay. And it's not clear to me what their best side is, and I'm not sure it's clear to them either. So, I mean, they they can. I don't think they've played their best, but I think the season might be ending. I think this might be a couple of weeks too early. So um, I think I had 34-32 Seattle, and um, it was interesting to – hear Zach from a player's perspective talk about that travel because that was something I was thinking about as a challenge when Seattle went to um, uh, Toronto. They had some travel problems. The players didn't, you know, didn't get a great night's sleep and all that sort of stuff. So those things factor in. That and the home crowd, I think, will give Seattle the edge. Yeah, well, it's going to be a huge weekend, folks. Two games, both on Sunday. So don't make any plans for Sunday evening out in the East Coast and then on the West Coast Sunday afternoon. Everything you need is going to be on CBS Sports Network. Pete, you'll be in San Diego. I'll be in Seattle. Unfortunately, uh, our dreams of working together one more time this year were were dashed, I guess, by some late changes to the scheduling. But I think it'll all work out for the best uh, for Major League Rugby, though. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the two best – home I, I think it's the two best teams in the regular season obviously but i think it's two of the better best venues um you know the i was at san diego last week and the crowd was amazing and if they could get that crowd again it'd be great and we all know what starfire is and we should ask um the listeners to keep their um ears and eyes open for some live podcasts and some special podcasts that major league will be rugby Major League Rugby will be doing over the weekend. Um, Aaron Castro, our producer, is working on those details right now. So keep an eye on that. And, of course, please leave a um, 
a review in iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or wherever you get this podcast. Yeah, and uh, obviously Zach Fanolio is uh, Twitter verified as well, so make sure you share it there to uh, your millions of followers, Zach. I'd be happy to. Well, he's got, he's, you've legit got the little blue tick. I checked it today. I was like, maybe he just copied and pasted it, but it's real. So, so, so Dan, this is, I mean, Zach's been kind enough to come on the podcast. The way you're treating him, I don't think anyone else is ever going to come on. Let's pull back the curtain. Pull back the curtain. <laughs> Zach and I have quite a bit of history away from rugby, so I think it's okay. I think most people okay. know that, uh, you know, like, for example, like, he stood me up on a sushi lunch date a few weeks ago, just didn't show up, and that's okay because we're friends and we, we, we can get through that together. Isn't that you right, Zach? Down. You got to break them down to keep them wanting more. That's kind of what I found out. <laughs> Uh, well, you guys mate, been, deserve each other. You guys we deserve do. each other. It's been great having you on the show, and uh, I'm sure it's probably not going to be the last time. Enjoy retirement, whatever that means for you and your lovely wife, Alyssa. I'm sure you guys will enjoy a little bit of extra time together, and I don't think that uh, the great sport of rugby is done with Zach Fanolia just yet. I appreciate it, guys. This is a lot of fun, and uh, appreciate everything you guys are doing to help uh, grow the game of rugby here in the States. It's great. Well, that wraps it up, folks. For Zach Fanolio, our guest, Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro, our producer, I'm Dan Power. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the semifinals, and we'll be back next week to preview the championship game. Till then.